You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. I want to take a moment. Uh, if you could remain standing, that would be that would be really honouring, and I would love you to do that. I want to introduce to you this morning uh, a really good friend of mine, and we've become closer and closer over the last few years. Um, he's been through an incredible transition, and is now the senior uh, lead pastor of C3 Corumban Church. And I get to kind of follow in his footsteps as our church is in transition. And this this guy has just been such a wellspring of wisdom. Um, you may never know the things that he has said and guided, um, having been someone that has gone before and seen success and increase on the back of doing transition successfully. Uh, but I'd love it as a church if we could honour uh, this mighty man of God this morning. Dan Gorey is here. Legend. Come here, we're going to hug. Love you, man. Awesome, brother. You know what I love about Dan? We, we talk about uh, a culture of authenticity in this church. And what I love about Dan is there's no fake, there's no show. There's an authentic love of Jesus. There's an authentic love of people. And that just comes out. And I'm so stoked to hear what you've got on your heart for us this morning. Can we give him another welcome? He's gonna take over. And I wanna thank the team. You guys are legends. Unless you want them, you can have them. Thank you so much. Can we thank the band for their phenomenal talents? You guys rocked. It was amazing. Love it. Joel, sing like an angel or me, vice versa. We're not sure yet, but uh, Joel and I are doing a joint EP album. It's going to come out soon. Uh, Not really. It's called Salt and Pepper. Is that? That's a good title. Come on now. No, anyway. Well, so good to see you. If we haven't met yet, once again, my name is Dan, and uh, I love you guys. I love this church so much. Pastors Keith and Janet were our church's overseer for about 10 years, C3 Corumban on the Gold Coast, and so uh, they would come up annually and just help us so much. It was incredible to have their wisdom and their input for so long, and so even now, I know the, the, a little bit about the situation, so we're joining you in praying for them. And I'm so proud of you guys as well. Uh, Sorry, uh, sound guy, I don't mean to be annoying at all. Can I just get myself out of these speakers here? Thank you so much, you're the best. Can we thank the sound and AV guys? No one looks up there, but they're here early making everything amazing. You guys are absolutely the best. But, uh, and I want to thank you and and let you know we're praying with you for, for Pastors Keith and Janet, but also this transition. Uh, it's good news, guys. I, I think that if there is ever something that we're going to celebrate as a church is that we are not just like a one generational entity or company, but instead from generation to generation, the same God sits on the throne. It's a theocracy. Amen. It's his church. He's running it. And so I, I love you in advance and thank you in advance for the support that you are going to give pastors uh, Nate and Rach as they take this on in this young season with young kids. Oh my gosh, like I have, I have two kids at home and, uh, and that's enough, like that is absolutely uh, a, a gift, gift from the Lord. I'm going to say gift from the Lord in case, is, are we recording already? Gift from the Lord, that's right. Just re- re- scrap where I said demons, uh, gift from God and I thank you so much, God is good to me, but 
my wife and, uh, and sends her love as well, and we've been married nearly eight years, and uh, it's, it's incredible. absolutely love what we get to do. Uh, I was at C- I've been at C3 Crum in my entire life. Mum and Dad started going when they found out they were pregnant with me, the youngest of three boys, and uh, in drug and alcohol addiction, and they were like, man, we, Dad was raised a Catholic. He's like, I, I need to get my life back in order. I've got to get to church. And they rock up first Sunday, completely set free from addiction, completely healed of crushed discs in his back. He was meant to be in a wheelchair 12 months later at, uh, in his early 30s, completely healed and uh, on fire for Jesus ever since. And so by God's grace, I stayed in that church my whole life, except for two years I went to Bible college at Oxford Falls, came back, and on my 19th birthday, Pastor Eric's like, so we want you to take on the youth ministry. I'm like, okay, uh, what, what does that even mean? I'm like 19. So we did that for seven and a half years, five of those years running young adults as well. And then at uh, I think it was at 25, Pastor Eric, when I was 25, Pastor Eric had an emergency triple bypass, <laughs> hallelujah, and came back from the op, he's like, Dan, I've been thinking maybe I should retire, and I'm like, oh yeah, was that the Lord, was it? <laughs> Not the emergency triple bypass, so at 25, we became executive pastors, youth pastors, young adult pastors, and we started a three-year transition journey, which was amazing, and so uh, by God's grace, it went well, and we're now four and a half years into that journey, and absolutely loving it, at church sends their love as well. And that's the beauty about a C3 family. Amen. And so it's a lot of fun. And so I, I thank you for the grace you're going to show your new pastors because I know what it's like taking on church and having babies and having young kids and still also doing your best to lead and love people. And so thank you so much for uh, joining with me in that. And we're in this fun period right now where Dawn, uh, I think she's the same age as Addie. She's like, she just turned five and she is my absolute princess. She can do nothing wrong. She is absolutely amazing. And then Abel's a different kettle of fish. So we've got a boy. Uh, Abel is two and a bit, two and a half. And for like six months, I, I was like, Dawn at two. We've got videos of Dawn at two. And she's like full sentences. She's like, Daddy, look at the hippopotamus. I'm like, wow, you're two. That's amazing. Abel at two is like, duh, uh, duh. So for about six months, I, I kid you not, I'm waking up at 5 a.m. to, daddy, daddy, daddy. Like angry, deep, daddy, dad, dad. Daddy! And I'd go into his room. I'm like, buddy, what? And I'm like, wait. He's like, <laughs> Abel said, daddy, daddy. And he's mocking me. He's like, Abel says, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, I will just right, right, right now in this room. And there's no witnesses or cameras. So, uh, but now that's changed. The last three weeks, you're going to be happy. He's moved on to now. Literally, I, I, I'm not lying. I wake up to, daddy, let's go, let's go. Let's go, Daddy. He learned, let's go. And I'm like, where are we going? He's like, Daddy, let's go. Let's go. I'm like, you can go. Like, you, I'll open the front door. You can go for it, man. Like, I'm staying in bed for a little bit longer. But that is the joy, the joy of families right now. And so, anyway, it is good to be with you. Uh, I am so pumped. You guys are going to go through James. Uh, I love the Word of God. I love Love, 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 love the Word of God. After two years of college in Sydney, I went on to do my degree with Vision Online Bible College under Ken Chant, just an amazing theologian. And then uh, with Pastor Richard Green, he opened up an opportunity for me to do my master's. And so just completed that 18 months ago, uh, which is fantastic. Now I have no desire to study for a while because we, I was running Red Frog's Gold Coast uh, at the time. We had 800 volunteers serving 40,000 schoolies. The same, the same week I took the church on, 
on, as Red Frogs happened, and was doing my master's and having babies. And so I'm like, just done. I'm like, woman, I'm going on a cruise. I'm going to preach by video screen. Like, I'm retiring for a couple of years and just have a little rest. But no, no desire to study anymore. But I do love the Word of God. I'm so excited you're going through James because um, how many people know it is very easy to just kind of make up our own theology? It's really easy. I mean, we look at life, we look at what happens, we're like, I guess God's like this, and I guess he's not like that, and that's my theology. And that's how we view God. Theology, if you're gonna break down that word in its very simple form, is how you view God. That's your theology. So when people come to me and they're like, I'm not into theology, I don't like reading dead guys. I'm like, well, that's one aspect of theology, but you have a theology, and you need to know that. That You might have had tragedy happen in your life or a lot of success happen in your life, but it's shaped how you view God. And it's shaped how you view what he has called you to do. And so the reason I love going through a book in the Bible is you can't buffet Christian your way through that. Like sometimes we pick and choose what we want. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's the keeper. All things work together for good. That's the keeper. I'm just going to tell God what good is. Uh, I'm just going to pick and choose what I like out of the Bible. God's good. Life's good. I'm going to be a Christian. But when we go through a book together, we're going to come to some uncomfortable verses And you and I are going to be reminded that we don't shape Scripture, but we instead allow Scripture to shape us. And we read it and we say, Lord, you are the potter, I am the clay, have your will. And so let's look at James chapter 1 together. Up on the screen there, I'll I'll read off here. This letter is from James, a slave of God, uh, uh, a slave of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just quickly, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation today. If you're new to Christianity, I would encourage you to jump into a New Living Translation Bible. Get it in your hands. It's really good for um, understanding thoughts at a time. Like you're just going to understand really easy what's going on in that passage. If you've been a Christian for a while, it's probably not to do the best book to do a, a word study in. Maybe look at NASB or New King James or ESV or something like that. And if you're new to Christianity as well, I'd love you just to go straight to the book of John. I always say that almost every Sunday at our church because the book of John, it's written at the end of the first century by John. He has no desire to prove that Jesus actually existed and did miracles. No one debated that. But at the end of the first century, they're debating that Jesus was God, the God. And so what they're saying is a thing called Gnosticism came in where, hey, not yeah, Jesus was God, but you can be God too. And so John spends like most of it, there's only seven miracles as opposed to Mark, the most commonly used term is and suddenly. It's like and suddenly and suddenly and suddenly and suddenly and suddenly. Miracle, miracle. <laughs> That's Mark. John, there's only like seven, but there's the seven great I am's. He's trying to prove who Jesus was, that he didn't let go of his deity. When he became a man, he still was God. He doesn't say I was and I will be. He's like, I am. And then it goes through like six chapters of the last 24 hours, the last supper upstairs, this teaching of our Savior before the, the resurrection. So New Living Translation, jump, jump into the book of John. We want you to know who Jesus is. That's number one. So this is the book of James, NLT version. This is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. 17 verses to go. Let's come with me. Uh, if you want to get a Gatorade for this, that's fine as well. Just like a little tea break. No, just kidding. There's a lot of reading to do. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Doesn't sound like the culture we live in. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Any young parents in the room, you've watched Lorax with your kids? We say, let it grow. Come on. All right. And so let it grow. For when endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. I really like scripture. He's a good God. He's a generous God. And he will give it to you. 
He won't rebuke you for asking. Thank you, Lord. But when you ask him, be sure that you have faith, uh, that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with a divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Open our hearts. What's God saying to me right now as we read Scripture together, as we look at this together, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. I don't like that. Let's just, let's just go ahead and cross that out. If you've got a thick black Nico, let's cross that out. And uh, if we can write, God blesses those who patiently endure Netflix seasons, uh, that'll be fantastic. Uh, afterwards, they will receive the crown of life. That's, I like that. We'll keep that in. Uh, as God has promised to those who love him. Remember, when you are being tempted, cross out tempted, rewarded with gold. Uh, do not say God is tempting, cross out uh, rewarded with gold. God is rewarded. For God never tempts. I'm joking. God never tempts. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Away is a big word. These desires will give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Let's pray. And Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you as we look at your word today. You would help us love you even more, trust you even more, lean into you even more, be willing for you to shape us and correct us and mold us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word in 2 Timothy 3.16 when you said all scripture is Holy Spirit inspired, but it's good for teaching and rebuke rebuke and reproof and correction and shaping. We thank you that we would not shape the word today, but it would shape us. Allow us to be that vulnerable. Allow us to be that humble to say, have your way. Your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. It's a great book, James. For those who don't know and you're taking notes and you want to go to heaven, uh, that James, the first book written in the New Testament, it's believed to be AD 48 to AD 50. Like this is the first thing written to believers. So I think this passage, that uh, it's such an honor to get to preach, this passage we're looking at today must be pretty crucial because this is the first piece of writing canonized that we have available that was written from an apostle to the church. That's big, right? Another thing I love when it comes to apologetics, if you've never heard that word, it's kind of like a case to prove that Scripture's real, God's real, creation's real, Jesus, all those things. But a great point when it comes to apologetics is that James was actually believed to be Jesus' brother. Now, this is big, because while Jesus was alive, James clearly didn't believe in him. 
James rebuked him several times in John. It says, he, oh, are you going to go up now and prove that you're God? <laughs> Mocked him. All these things. They tried to drag him away when he was teaching, saying they think he's insane. Like James did not believe he was Christ, did not believe he was God, did not believe he was the promised Messiah. Yet here we have it at some point later, he's writing saying, I'm a bondservant of my brother. Like I like my brothers. I love my brothers. They're my best friends. I'm not going to tell you they're God. Like, I'm not here today like, John, bond servant of my brother John, kingdom Messiah. Like, I, that's not happening. So something must have happened. Something must have happened for this guy to go from full on not believing while Jesus was alive to the moment Jesus dies, he's living the rest of his life for his brother. It's one of the best signs we have that Jesus did rise from the dead and did appear to the apostles, and there was a significant shift. It's believed James was the, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem as well, uh, as, as I think it was Fox's Book of Martyrs, a legend, and uh, history will tell us this crazy story. I love it, because they were all martyred except for John, in case you don't know that, which is an awesome point, because John was the only one at the foot of the cross, and Jesus very clearly said, if you want to hold on to your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. And the only one willing to die with Jesus was the only one who died of old age. I think that's, anyway. And so James is sitting there, they're all martyred, right? And he's pastoring, and the Pharisees bring him up onto the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. Some people even say it's the same place Jesus was taken by Satan, but that's not guaranteed. And, and what they did was renounce Jesus, say, say that he is not God. They're trying to squash Christianity, which is just ballooning, going bananas. And he stands up there and he's like, okay, okay, okay. He starts preaching the gospel. I love it. He starts preaching. People start listening and repenting. So they push him off the top of the temple in an attempt to kill him. When they realized he didn't die at the bottom, they went down and stoned him and beat him to death. But he was willing to die other than renounce his brother Jesus as the Messiah. Is that cool? So bringing us into this author, it brings it into an urgency. What we see at the very start is he picks up and he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And so we don't know exactly when, but all we know is this must have, it's more than likely to have been written between Acts 8 and Acts 10. Because in Acts 8, what we see is that the fulfillment of that scattering happened. Remember in Jesus in Acts 1.8 where he's like, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, then go out. Judea, Samaria, the ends of the world. But all the way from, that's Acts 1, all Acts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, they're staying in Jerusalem. And so God uses tribulation, persecution, to spread them. So we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, so the church was scattered after Stephen died through persecution, through tough times. God scatters the church. So after that point, this is written to the 12 tribes that were scattered but in Acts 10, the gospel falls on Cornelius, and that's what they call the, the day of Pentecost for the Gentiles, right? So that's the first non-Jews saved, and then, pff, wow, apart from the eunuch in Acts 8. But that's, the, that's when that comes to the Gentiles right there. And so some point in this period, James is writing to the church, which at the time were just the Jews, these 12 tribes. And, and we read some really crucial things that we need to pick up on in this passage. But one of the main things that I just love so much, we, we need to catch, we need to catch, we need to catch, is I love how much this should challenge our view that God wants our life to be easy. I love it. I love it because it makes me think more kingdom. It makes me think more about eternity than right now. Now, I don't mean to be harsh at all, um, if, but if you are here and you are over the age of 55, I love you with all my heart, and uh, I'm going to get to you youngies soon, but 
What you are what researchers are calling for the very first time the me generation. For the very first time, researchers are seeing and studying and discovering that this is the first generation ever that doesn't have a real desire to leave an inheritance to their kids, but post-retirement wants to spend it on cruises and cars and houses. And hey, hear me clearly. I'm saying you earned it. You like worked hard for 40 years. You put up with us. I'm like, you have earned that little cruise around the Croatian island, sipping on a pina colada. And so you go ahead and get that tan and you go ahead and play bingo all you want. But this is the first generation they're calling the me generation, which in other words says, as opposed to focusing on what I'm leaving and on on giving an inheritance, I want to reap the benefits for me now. Now, all you under 35 think you're off the hook, but you're not. Anyone here 35 to 45, I've got nothing for you today. You can close your Bibles. (laughs) Millennials, which I'm one, they're, they're calling us the very first super me generation. Not only do I, 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 I look at my parents and they worked 40 years and started a business. I was broke. You don't understand, man. When I was growing up, we had nothing to eat but vegetables. We were broke. They put it all into business and now they've got all this money. And now they're spending money on cars and travel and do all I don't want to work 40 years and then do it. I want to do that now. I'm not saving up for a house deposit. The real estate's just too big. It's too crazy. I can't afford that ever anyway. I might as well just spend it on another trip to Paris so I can see a, get another photo of myself under a big rusty piece of metal while everyone pickpockets me because gypsies are everywhere. But I'm like, worth that $4,000. Woo! Now can I have a $20 flat white, please? You betcha. I don't want to be driving around in this 2014 I want a new Lexus now because I deserve it. Uni's been really tough. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like I'm I'm coming to the end of holidays and I just don't think that four-month break was enough. Like it it really was difficult. Last year was just so difficult. I had three subjects. There was, a, there was a period, there was a period where I had like six assignments due in like two months. Like, oh, I think I've earned this trip to Thailand just to do nothing with my girlfriends and just hang out by the pool and just, I, I just, my, I lost like 14 Instagram followers because I was too devoted to study at uni. Do you have any idea how hard my life is right now? <laughs> Now, I know I still live with mum and dad, and they're not trying to charge me board, and they're trying, but I'm just not going to do it, and, and I know I don't, I don't have to work. I mean, I've got, like, I had that 12-hour job at the cafe, but it's just too much. Like, I couldn't handle it right now. 12 hours of work is just too much for me. I've got three subjects right now. Life is tough, and I deserve a break now, and I deserve to not have to make my breakfast in the morning or my coffee. I deserve to go to that good cafe and have that avocado one toast and an extra serving of a muffin and three coffee. I deserve it. Me. And what we subscribe to is a false story and a false picture that life is all about us and life should be easy. Sorry if I start bringing truth bombs, but just go with me. Unless we're correcting it, unless we're letting Scripture shape us, we look at our society, we look at our culture, and we're like, I deserve that. 
I don't deserve this, this health battle. I don't deserve this low financial situation. I don't deserve this tension in my friendship circles. I don't deserve that. I deserve an easy life. And the first thing written to the church, the first thing, says, hey guys, when you go through a tough time, count it as joy. Because God's at work. Because God's at work. See, the first thing I, I want us to get, today is about choosing. Today is about choosing how we're going to be Christians in this world. How, how we're going to choose how we let our light shine in a dark place. And the first thing, hear me clearly, is you need to choose joy. You need to choose it. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm not going to say, oh, God wants you to just be joyful all the time. He's going to make life easy and you're just going to joy is be natural. Joy is not natural. Joy, I've had to put it that. Joy isn't the absence of trials in your life. It's the presence of God's hand in your world. But we confuse that. We're like, joy is the absence of tough times. Joy is the absence of conflict. Joy is the absence of any kind of debt. Joy is the absence of any kind of health battle. Joy is the absence of trials. No, 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 no. Joy is the presence of God with you in your fire, in the flood, in that tough time. When you have Jesus, you have joy. Because here's what we get confused so often. We, we mix up joy and happiness. I'm going to help you this morning. Please, just come on, push in. I want to change your Monday morning. Because happiness is based off your circumstance. And you need to see that joy is not. So we, we, we subscribe to this false lie that happiness, I, I need happiness, so therefore it's circumstantial. So I need those new clothes. And I need to eat at that best restaurant. And I need to travel. And I need that new car. And I need no conflict so I can be happy. Now, happiness is not the same as joy. Because joy is not a fruit of your circumstance. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is not a product of what you are going through and how life looks like right now. Happiness is, and happiness is temporary. Life can steal your happiness. But you and I have a Holy Spirit inside us that allows us to be in a, a tough situation with joy, that that situation has no authority to steal that joy. So you can try and steal my happiness, but you aren't stealing my joy. Because the joy of the Lord is my strength. See, I, 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 we're going to be going through some tough times. It, it, you go to conferences, sometimes it seems like being a pastor is, is easy. And you grow up and you're like, man, that looks like a sweet job. And, and it's a pretty quick baptism of fire. But last week alone, as I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I'm like, God, you know, thinking about numbers, thinking about the wrong things, thinking about attendance. I'm, that same day, I'm on my way driving to sit with a guy who's a young guy for three hours just to sit, and I had no wisdom because his wife's just cheated on him. I'm like, what do, you, what do you do there? And then as I'm trying to help him out, I'm literally getting texts, and I've got to get in the car to the next meeting with our executive pastors who 10 years ago lost my best friend, their son, to cancer, and now she has a repeat of cancer again, and they had faith that first battle, but it's tough for that faith to come back the second battle. What do you do in that situation when life sucks? I can tell you right now, happiness is nowhere to be seen because happiness is a fraud. But joy is an option because joy is your savior. Joy is a fruit of God. And you have every right to pull God in that situation. 
You will never know that God is healer unless you get sick. You will never know that God is saviour unless you know you need saving. You will never know that God is your provider unless you're broken and need providing for. So you need to see that in the presence of my persecution, in the presence of my trial, God is at work. Let joy bust out. It's like he hasn't left me nor forsake me. He said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. He said he's for me. He said every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's here. He has a good plan for me. He's at work right now. It might not look like I'm going to be a millionaire next year, but God's going to be with me and I'm going to be joyful in the situation because I am choosing joy. I'm choosing it. Hear me clearly, your happiness because life is easy and good is not that amazing of a testimony to your non-Christian friends and family. But you sit there in a trial completely broken like life has tried to crush you and you've got this joy and peace and smile on your face because Jesus is with you. They're gonna wanna have what you have. They're gonna wanna know what you know. They're gonna wanna experience what you experience. Everyone can be happy when life's good. Who can have joy when life sucks? Christians. Because we've got a saviour. Because we're forgiven. Because we're washed clean. Because we're new creations. Because we're adopted into his family. Because we're sitting with the Holy Spirit. Because we're on our way to him for eternity. I don't care. Take my money. Take my money, world. I don't care. Take my health. Make me sick. I don't care. Take a house. I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. We need to choose joy. Mature Christians choose joy. The other thing they do is they choose faith. Choose faith. One of the main things I have to help our church um, with, and just it's a, it's a constant thing. It's not like you arrive there yet, but I constantly have to help Christians who feel like in, in a trial, in a tough situation, that they have to muster up faith. Right, So these people who are going through that kind of marital trial, these people right now who are going through a health battle and the cancer there, these people who have also lost their son, they're sitting there thinking like, but I've got to be more faithful. I've got to be more faithful. I've got to have more faith. I've got to have more faith. And I, I constantly have to push them to one thing, that we don't have to focus on faith. Don't focus on faith. Faith is a byproduct of seeing God clearly and closely. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says, we look unto Jesus, the what? The author and perfecter of our faith. So we don't look at faith. We look at Jesus and we get faith. So in that situation, I'm not choosing doubt. I'm not choosing lies. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna choose to be faithful right now. And so I'm gonna look at Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, Immediately, Philippians chapter one, verse six jumps out. He began a good work, is faithful to complete it. Hot dog, woo! Hebrews 13 jumps out. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, baby. Come on now. I look at Jesus and faith starts to rise. But when I look inwardly and I'm like, Dan, get more faith, Dan, get more faith. I can't produce faith. He's the author and perfecter. I can't produce it, he can. And so when I look at God, when I'm in a trial, when I'm in a tough season, when you're in a tough season, please don't go, I've got to believe, I've got to believe more, I've got to believe more, I've got to believe, just, just go to God. Just go to Him. Because He wants you to. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, therefore we have this high priest in heaven, Jesus Christ, let us hold firmly to what we believe. And what do we believe, church? Verse 15, that he was tempted in every single way. We are yet was without sin. He was tempted to lose faith. He was tempted to walk away from the will of God. He was tempted to walk away from this relationship with God. He was tempted, yet he was found without sin. And so therefore, verse 16, let us come confidently, boldly into the throne room of Grace, so you can obtain mercy in a time of need. See, when you're in a trial, when you're in a situation, it is understandable for you to feel crushed. It is understandable for you to feel broken. It is understandable for you to feel down. And that's why we read Scripture and we're like, that's why God endured this temptation. So he sits in the throne room of grace with his hand out saying, come, I want to help you. Don't try and muster up faith yourself. Don't try and run harder yourself. Just come to me. Why? I love it. Throne room says he's king and he has authority. Grace says it's undeserved favor. The reason I'm there is not because I'm good enough or doing well enough in this trial, but because he did well enough. That's the only reason I'm there. And I'm not there to boast and stick my chest out. I'm there to obtain mercy in a time of need. God, I'm broken. So I know exactly where I'm going right now to get faith in your presence. And I'm running. I'm running. Why am I running? Because I'm awesome? No, because he is. Why am I running? Because I'm faithful? No, because he is. Why am I running? Because I have all the strength? No, because he does. Choose faith, choose faith, choose faith. It's contrasted. This, this section, verse six, is contrasted. Choose faith, otherwise you'll be like a wave tossed in the sea. And look at this thing. It's not steel. It has no anchor. So clearly what choosing faith looks like is just standing your feet and staring at Jesus and the worst day of your life going, but you're good and you're for me and you love me and you're not leaving me and you're a hope-filled God and you're going to save me one day. It's standing firm on Him. You cannot be faithful enough in your own strength and power and ability. Lean into Him. He can be. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what pleases Him. Don't try and be able without Him. That's crazy. Otherwise, He's just sitting back while we try and entertain Him and impress Him. Once again, I've got two young kids. I'm not like wanting them to do life like, Dad, I don't need your money right now. Thanks, Dad. I don't need you to drive me to school. I got this. Got a 17K walk in me. Feeling fresh today. Like, ask me for help. Like, I'm here. Like, I want to help you. I want to do life with you. Choose joy. Choose faith. Choose God. This is a massive passage. This is alone. I could have just stuck in here all day. But in verse 13, and I've got a quote up there, which I'll get to soon. But in verse 13, where it says, let no one, no one, none of us, amen, victory, none of us are going to say when we are tempted that we're being tempted by God. For God tempts no one and is no is he tempted. But, but. Each one is tempted when he's lured away by his own desires. And when desire is fully grown, it gives birth to sin. And sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. We need to choose God. I was talking about this with Sim last night. I, I, um, as, a, as a pastor, I, I find it difficult when people are preaching or teaching or writing that the number one goal in this life is for us to be like God. The reason I find that difficult is I think it should be a byproduct of being with God. Hear me. Let me flesh this out a bit. What we read about in Daniel is that Lucifer, Satan, tried to take over heaven. And it says that he considered himself like God. 
So he rose up and he tried to take over heaven. Obviously, God just laid the smack down, straight down to earth. We, 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 there's massive debate about the timeline and time frame of all this. But all we know is that in Genesis 3, the serpent, Satan, is in the garden right there. And hear me out now. What did he, when he wanted to be like God in heaven and God crushed him down to earth, what was his first temptation to man? It wasn't just sin. Otherwise, we look at sin and we look at adultery and affairs and we look at that. What's the root issue of sin that he brought to mankind do this and you will be like God. So sometimes we look at it and we're like, oh, the sin was eating the fruit. That's what my kids tell me all the time. Sin to eat a salad. No, it's not, you little punk. Stop it. I rather eat it. Sinful dad, I read about Adam and Eve not eating that fruit, but can I have some popcorn? No, okay. Don't look at the manifestation of sin. Even if you're struggling with something this morning, don't look at the manifestation. Don't look at the symptoms. What's the root issue? What's going on in here that is causing that? Struggling with that greed, struggling with that lust, struggling with that covetousness, struggling with that anger, struggling with that jealousy. Don't look at that manifestation. The heart is simply this. In my heart, I actually want to be in control more than I want Jesus to be in control. That's the issue. See, if someone's here and they're struggling with, with pornography and they're willfully doing it, what they're saying in that moment is, I want to choose that above you. I want to take control of my life back and choose that for ple pleasure and satisfaction above you. And this verse is saying, let no one, when they're tempted, say they're tempted from God, you're tempted from yourself. And you're tempted, but you don't kill that temptation. So once again, as Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was tempted it, this freed my church a lot. Temptation is not the sin. You don't need to repent from being tempted. Satan is going to tempt you constantly. That's why 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says we take every thought captive and line it up against the word of God. You're going to get temptations. You're going to get thoughts. The Christian's role is to submit that thought and temptation to Christ and the word of God and not continue to entertain it until it gives birth to sin. The action, the manifestation, or at least the mindset uh, pathway, that's the sin we should be repenting of. But the temptation we should be submitting to God because we choose God above the sin. I don't want to be like God. I don't want to be like church. I don't want to be like God. I want to be with him. We were not created in the Garden of Eden, so God said, all right, let us make man in our image and let us have nothing to do with them, but let them be just like us. He said, I want to be in together. C.S. Lewis said this term's called the dance. I freaking love this picture. He says this term's called the dance. See, before creation existed, for an eternity past, there was the Trinity in perfect love, perfect holiness, perfect joy, perfect happiness, perfect power. God needed nothing. He did not create people because he needed something. Sometimes they're like, no, he needed us to worship him. Yeah, right. So you lifting your arms and B.O. flowing everywhere and singing off key is really what the Savior of the world needs? Like, oh, finally, now I feel complete and fulfilled. They're filling a theater with B.O. and off-pitch kings. Oh, this is amazing. Angels, watch and learn. Now I experience complete joy. Like, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He wants you. Because he doesn't need something from you. He wants to add to you. So he begs you in John chapter 7, 37 to 39, come to me, everyone who's thirsty, because I'm going to do something in you and through you. I'm going to give you living water, and then streams of living water will flow through you. I want to change you. I want to add to you, and I want to bless everyone around you, but you have nothing to offer me. So he says in John 15, you better abide in me. 
You better, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, I'm going to produce fruit through you, and that fruit's going to remain. You have nothing to offer God. But let me promise you something, that when you choose him, he has so much to offer you. And it is so much more satisfying, and it is so much more joy-filled than any temptation could ever give you. But that is the lie of Satan again and again and again. Take control back. Be your own God. Give yourself joy. Give yourself satisfaction. And Jesus stands up in John 6 and begs, I am the bread of life. Come to me and eat. You'll never be hungry again. This is the Savior we worship. Amen. This is the God we worship. We want to choose God. But then I'll finish with this. And this is, this is big. And I need us to catch this final point, because you might be sitting here and it sounds a whole bunch like works, right? Like Dan sitting up there just kind of screaming at me and sweating because the aircon cut out. But Dan's like, choose joy, choose faith, choose God. Right, I'm writing down my to-do list for Monday morning. Choose joy, choose faith, choose God. Choose joy, choose faith, choose God. And that's not it. That's why we read Scripture in its entirety. Verse 18 says this, that God chose you. God chose you. Now, I'm not going to get into some kind of debate about garbage, Calvinism and Armenianism and all that predestination stuff. That's not the point. Don't go there, all right? Don't go there mentally. What we're doing right now is we're resting in the joy of Scripture. I love, if I can word it this way, Charles Spurgeon says it like this. He walked into a room once and there was all these theologians debating. And, uh, and they were debating about this, this balance. This, this debate has happened for like 500 years, this balance between... Man's responsibility. Am I saved because I chose God? Am I healed because I had enough faith? Am I, am I seeing breakthrough because I did something amazing like fasted or tithed or rubbed past Nate's feet? Like, am I seeing that because of my works, man's responsibility? Or, or God, is God sovereign? Do I do nothing and He just made me alive and I was just born again? I didn't even have a say in it. I didn't even have a choice in it and all these things. And they were debating, these pastors were debating, is, is it man's responsibility or God's sovereignty? Which is it? And the, the story goes that Charles Spurgeon walked in and they're like, Mr. Spurgeon, can you help us? Which one is it? Is, it? is it God's sovereignty or man's responsibility? How would you reconcile the two? And he stopped and he said, why do I need to reconcile best friends? The debate we have when we look at Scripture is not, God, do I have to muster all this up or do I do nothing and you're going to do everything? Once again, in my opinion, the underlying message and truth of all of the Bible is that God wants to have a relationship with you. So you were created for relationship. Sin destroyed it. So God did everything that needed to be done. He lived the life we couldn't live. The righteous life according to the law. He died the death that the sin in us deserved to die. And now simply through faith, he extends eternal life to anyone who will choose Him and anyone who will believe in Him. But here's the thing. It's not like we sit on the couch in our Snuggie eating popcorn, watching Gilmore Girls going, just waiting for you, God. Just waiting for all of these desires to change. Just waiting for salvation to come. Just waiting for healing for my friends and family. I have nothing to do. I'm just gonna sit here and do nothing. And God's like, do work. Pray. Ask. Seek. Knock. Like again and again, Jesus is like, do work. And He's like, and I'm going to work through you as well. It's all through the Bible. 
Philippians 2, 12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds like man's responsibility. Verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and ability to do what pleases Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19, 20, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big ministry. Oh my goodness. We've got to go to the world and take this ministry of reconciliation. And then the next verse, for God is making His appeal through us, reconciling people to Himself, not counting their trespasses on them. That's a beautiful, God wants to work with us. It's about relationships. So how, how, C3 Victory, how do you choose joy Monday morning? How do you choose faith Monday morning? How do you choose God Monday morning? You rest in verse 18, that He chose you. He chose you. You choose Him because He chose you. First John chapter four, we love because He first loved us. It's not one or the other, it's relationship. That's the goal. And so that's why we pick up. Do we have Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 up there? Sorry. I love this passage. Here we go. For by grace you have been saved. That is not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not of works. Amen. We're going to stop there. You were saved, not of your own works. It was all Jesus. It was all God. The only way you're getting to heaven is because all of Jesus did. At the end of the cross, He said, it is finished. It's done. That's the reason we're saved, lest anyone should boast. But you're not saved by works, but we are His workmanship. And catch this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. You are not saved by good works. You are not good enough. You're not holy enough. I don't care if you were raised in church. I don't care if you're the biggest giver to the building fund. I don't care if you brought 45 people last year. You are not going to heaven because of your good works. But you are His work. He's at work in you right now. You haven't arrived there yet. Just in case, like me, you've been a Christian for a lot of years right now. Just so you know, you're not there yet. There's no there this side of eternity. You're called to keep growing. God is still working in you. And when He works in you, He wants to work through you. So He created you for good works. So you're not saved by works. You are His work, saved for good works. So how do I choose joy? They're the good works that God created you for. How do I choose faith? That's the good works that He created you for. How do I choose Him? That's the good works He created you for. I want you to see Monday morning as a relationship opportunity with God. Not, Not an opportunity to impress God by choosing joy. Not an opportunity to impress God by choosing faith or choosing Him. It's an opportunity to push into relationship. It's an opportunity to push into Him because you're His good good work. And watch joy flow. And watch faith flow as you spend time worship and reading your Word. Uh, Watch you want Him more and desire Him more. Amen. So this morning, I want to pray with anyone who is not in that relationship with Jesus. Okay, so hear me. You might have been here first time, second time, third time. Here's my thing. If you've never experienced this relationship with Jesus Christ that I've been speaking about today, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. And here's something bold I need as well. If you're here and you've been here for a while, maybe a month, maybe 30 years. But as I've been speaking, if the Holy Spirit out of love has touched your heart today. And I need you to be bold because we only desire to please Him and not man. Amen? If the Holy Spirit has touched your heart today and said, we've never had that relationship. You've been a great 
Christian, but we've never had that relationship. And I want that relationship with you. That's why I created you for that relationship. I'd love to pray with you as well. Is that cool? So can we close our eyes really quickly? Every eye closed, every head bowed. And the only reason I ask people to do that is just out of respect for the people around them. If you're new here this morning, I promise you we are not going to make you do anything you do not want to do. Just giving an opportunity for anyone who wants to respond to Jesus this morning. Every eye's closed, every head is bowed. If that's you and you have never experienced the love of Jesus Christ or you've experienced Him, however, something shifted, something changed. And what you realize this morning is that you've actually experienced religion or church life, but you've never actually experienced a relationship with Jesus. I want you to be really bold. No one's looking around but me, but I want you to be really bold right now. No one's looking around. Can you just lift your hand high? Go, Dan, that's me. I want Jesus. For the first time, or you've been in church a long time. If that's you, just lift your hand high just before we finish our service. I'll see it. You can put it straight back down. No one's looking around but me. Ten more seconds if that's you. Lift your hand high. Dan, that's me. I want Jesus. I don't want religion. I don't want to do these works for Him. I want to do them with Him. I want Jesus. Well, Lord, we love You. God, we thank You so much that tomorrow morning as we wake up, we are just going to devote ourselves to focusing on You, to pushing into You, to loving You, to experiencing You. God, we expect and we long for faith to rise, for hope to rise, for joy to rise. We thank you. We love you so much. Hey, if it's cool, Pastor Nate, can we do a tag? Can we get the band to do a tag? Is that all right? You guys in Waymaker? Is that cool, Joe? Or whatever you feel, mate, go in the spirit. Salt and pepper, baby. You lead, I'll do the harmony. But uh, hey, can we stand to our feet really quickly? Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.